right, good morning, Gateway. We can start making our way to our seats. It's great to see everybody this morning. Good morning, good morning. It's great to see everybody. I'd like to welcome those who are watching us from home. Also, if you're visiting us for the first time or second time, we'd like to welcome you. So glad you're here to worship with us and join us. To all the pops out there, happy Father's Day. Woo! Since that's the topic quickly, I want to congratulate, since it's out there now, we would like to congratulate Patsy and Alex. They're about to have their first child. Woo! We just found out. I had to do it. I'm sorry. So I told Alex today for the first time, but there you are. Happy Father's Day, man. That's exciting. So happy for you. Just a couple of announcements, and then we're going to have a time to welcome some new members. And uh, so very quickly, kids, in a few weeks, what's going to be happening? VBS. Yes. Miss Molly, wherever she is, is going exciting. We love VBS. We're going to do a little different this year because of COVID. Um, we're going to try something. We'll probably go back to normal next year. But what we're going to do is five straight Sundays, starting on July 11th, we're going to have VBS from 9 a.m. till the end of the service over here in the gym. Everything will be the same, same type um, schedule. But we're going to do it five consistent um, Sundays, starting Sunday, July 11th. Um, so you can register or just talk to us, if some, um, some of the staff and all, if you're planning. But we'd love to invite your friends. Uh, just for those few Sundays, it'll be great. So that begins in three weeks. Uh, also, Discover Gateway. For those of you who've been visiting with us for a little bit, this is um, a time that we have every few weeks uh, called Discover Gateway, where we get to go to Grady and Julia's house to enjoy some yummy food, and then to have a time where you get to know about who we are, our DNA, how we function, our governance, um, just everything about us. Just have a wonderful time of fellowship. You can ask questions. Get to know the pastor and his wife and some of our elders. And so that's going to be happening as well on Sunday, July 11th. Um, you can see our staff, talk to us, or contact the office to register so we just know how much food to prepare. So we're very excited about that. Okay, we have a sad note. We know this happens on occasion, but we have to bid farewell to a couple families who are, the Lord is moving them on. Uh, first, we'd like to just acknowledge Chris and Brandy Boyd. Where are you guys the Boyds? There they are, with uh, Izzy and Gracie and Emma. Uh, they've been a precious military family the Lord has brought in to be with us for the past year. Um, just been wonderful, plugged in, just been a wonderful part of us, and the Lord is moving them on. This will be their last Sunday. And also a sad note, some veterans who have been a pioneering couple in this church for almost 20 years, John and Amy Schneider, this is going to be their last Sunday. The Lord is moving them down to the Mobile area to be with family, and as much as we're going to miss them so much, we're excited they get this new beginning uh, closer to family down there in the Mobile area. So what we would ask, ask if the Boyds and Schneiders at the end of the service during the last song, we would love for you to come down, and Greg's going to come down and lead with some of your Sunday school class folks. We want to pray over you, as well as the Schneiders, just to launch you out and kind of commission you in the Lord with some prayer. Um, I'm going to ask Grady to come up, and as some are leaving, some are coming. So it's a good transition. But also introduce today the Corey famous. The Corey's come on up here. It's not a scary group to look at, I promise. Come on down. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) 
So this is the Corey family, and they finished our membership process, which if you're not familiar with it, when people have been visiting for a while, they do Discover Gateway that CJ had talked about earlier. After that, they meet with one of our elders one-on-one to share their story and to be able to get their questions answered about the church, and it goes to you, the members, for approval. And so they've met, met the whole membership process. They have Scott and Janine Corey here. Scott is retired Air Force microbiologist who now is a microbiologist with a VA working with the medical system there. you got his wife, Janine, and then you got their kids, Elena, Madison, and Alexander. So they're coming to you for membership. Madison is coming, though, pending her baptism. So she will be baptized somewhere in the next month or so. So you will see her baptism coming up, but they come to you as new members. They already plugged into the life of church, and we are so thankful that God has brought you guys here. So join me in welcoming the Corey family to Gateway. Thanks, guys. And so one last announcement before CJ comes back. I think we have a slide for it. This is staff birthday week. This is the birthdays for Aaron, CJ, and Molly all this week, all in the same week here. So, so Aaron, where are you in the room? Aaron's back there. If you don't know Aaron, Aaron is our office manager and our bookkeeper. Her birthday was yesterday. CJ's birthday is tomorrow. And then Molly, where did Molly go? Did she slip out to the kids' areas? Kids stuff. Okay, Molly was down in the kids' areas, but Molly's birthday is on Tuesday. So joining me in, in saying happy birthday to these guys. So we're thankful for all of you guys. Appreciate that. All right, if we please stand and we're going to prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this morning through song. Just want to read a passage over us. As we prepare our hearts, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on an immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's worship him this morning. Amen. We're going to be doing this song, Victory in Jesus. It's an old hymn that everyone knows, but I just want to read a couple verses before we start this. As CJ led us in there. Um, in John 14, um, Tony, you pull them up for me. In uh, John 14, starting in verse 1, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And in some translations, it says mansions. And uh, they use that term in this uh, song, mansions. It says, If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And then later on in that text as well, you have where he says, it's good that I go because I'm going to ask the Father to send you a helper. He's going to send us the Holy Spirit. And uh, through that Holy Spirit, he convicts us. He helps in our sanctification. And through that, through the blood of Jesus shedding, through that redeeming blood, we have victory over sin. We have victory over depression, anxiety, these struggles that we deal with. Like last week when we talked about um, sexual sin and we were looking at the Ten Commandments, we have victory over lust in those areas through the Holy Spirit that um, 
teaches us, sanctifies us, and grows us more and more to look like Christ. So as we sing this song and thinking about it and just singing that, that I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory, that it's not so much that don't get focused on the, whether it's going to be a mansion, a house, or a room, but the focus is more that God's going to prepare a place and we will be able to dwell with him one day, be able to dwell in his presence, not just as we see now invisibly, but that we'll be able to actually dwell and see him physically and see Jesus, this person that we've been worshiping all this time and be able to see him face to face. So as we get ready to worship this morning, just think on that. Well, I heard no Redeeming blood 
Praise to 
we find our rest in you, God. May we see through your eyes, God. Be our vision. Be our delight. Father, open our eyes to the things that break your heart. Open our eyes to the things that bring you joy so that we may live our lives in such a way that is pleasing to you, God. A life that brings you joy and doesn't bring you hurt, God. We thank you for your redeeming blood and the victory that is found in it, God. The victory over sin and death that is found in you and your son, Jesus Christ, by the blood that he shed. We praise you in this place this morning, Father. It's in your name we pray. Well, you may be seated. We have a special treat this morning. So, boys and girls, it's not time to go yet. You're still in with us for a few minutes, so hang tight there. But, Alan, come on up here. So, for you guys who are, um, who are new to Gateway in the last four, four and a half years, Alan Cross is the previous senior pastor of Gateway here before me. As you know, as you go through Discover Gateway for our new members here, there's only been, I'm only the fourth pastor in Gateway's history. And if you've been through Discover Gateway, you've heard how God has used the different men who've preceded me here to lay a foundation for what we experience today. And a lot of the heart as you come into Gateway and see the DNA of this church for missions and outreach and a heart for the nations, you owe a lot to God working through this guy right here through Alan Cross. And so we're, we're grateful for you, So for the many new faces at Gateway over the last four years, you get a face with a name this morning. And for the old faces at Gateway who have been here a while, you get to see an old friend back. His wife Erica is sitting out here as well. And Erica, we're glad that you're here today. But Alan, come give a greeting to us here. A greeting said for the old faces. Um, I think he's meaning me. My face is a lot older. My girth is a lot wider. Uh, but very, very good to be with you all this morning. And uh, Grady, thank you. Uh, for having me, and uh, Pastor CJ as well. Thank you for inviting me. I've, I've kept up with you guys uh, over the last almost five and a half years, I guess it's been, since we've left, and uh, it's been awesome to see God work in your life. It's amazing to see the church full of people today. It just warms my heart. We were here for about almost 16 years, our family, and when we came here, um, wow, January of 2000, we had a little baby, Ashton. She was seven months old, and, uh, and she came in with her hair all over the place, and and uh, um, uh, that's sticking up. I, I remember that. And we were just a young family. I was right out of seminary, uh, went to seminary at Golden Gate Baptist in California. And we were just getting started in the ministry. And this was our home. This was our family. This was our tribe, so to speak, um, for the birth of our children and the incubation of our family, for the foundation that was laid in the Lord in their lives. And so I just want to say thank you to this church, um, to all those who are here that we knew, to those who have come since we've left, to those who were here before we were here. This church is really powerful and really special. And just thousands and thousands of people have come through this church that are now all over the world, uh, through the military, through uh, college students, through young professionals, with state government. Um, this church has a legacy, and this church has, has spread uh, the gospel. I was in Israel last year, and uh, one of our former uh, church members was working with the U.S. Embassy there, and she saw that I was there on Facebook. And so she contacted me. We had coffee inside the, the Jaffa Gate in Old Jerusalem talking about Gateway. And so... Um, uh, just amazing thing that God has done. So thank you. Keep going. Keep going and uh, continue on. God has led us. Um, uh, I left here and went to work on behalf of immigrants and refugees across the South to continue work with racial reconciliation, work with churches, and I advise churches and help counsel and help turn churches towards their community to reach out to those who were from all over the world that were right there in their community that they would um, experience the love of Christ together. And so we saw that happen 
uh, for almost four years, wrote, uh, did all kinds of things. My daughter went out to California to college uh, where she um, met a guy, and they just got married a month ago, and so we were able to experience joy in that with Ashley getting married. Um, uh, we moved out to California two years ago, uh, this month, I guess, or last month, uh, to Pastor Petaluma Valley Baptist Church. And uh, after, after three and a half years on the road, God worked out some things and, and uh, orchestrated for us to, to go pastor that church, which was near where I went to seminary, and we had some connections there. And so two years ago, we moved out to Northern California, to the San Francisco Bay Area, to North Bay, which is just about 3% evangelical Christians. So there are places in the world that, have, that we send missionaries to that have more Christians than where we live. And that was the big reason why we went. Having been in the South for so long and for all of our life, uh, really, we wanted to be missionaries. And, and, and we were. We were doing that as, as, as we worked and traveled around and were doing that here as well. But just felt God's call at that point in our life to go and to try to help um, a church that had not had a pastor for about two years. And so there was a gap there and to try to help get it up and, and going again and, uh, and uh, moving forward. And so we were there for about eight months. And then something called COVID hit. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. <laughs> But, uh, but, but that hit and just really kind of blew everything all to pieces. And so we only just started meeting inside again. Uh, we had this big pavilion. We started meeting inside about six weeks ago. Um, so we were outside all this time, and they just lifted some mandates this past week. And so I'm looking forward to going back and, like, seeing what can we do to reach this area. And so our hope and prayer is that we can help build that church up and then it become a church planning church, working with other churches in the North Bay, because there's a desperate, desperate need. Uh, for the gospel to take root there and, uh, and to grow, and so with, with people from all over the world there. So that's a little bit about who we are and what we're doing. My son, Peyton, uh, that you guys remember, he was born here. He's now a freshman. Uh, well, he just finished his freshman year in college at UC San Diego, uh, studying engineering. And my son, Kieran, my middle son, just graduated high school uh, this past month, and he's going to uh, go on and, um, to the junior college there and then hopefully go on to a UC and study economics. And then Kaylin, my youngest, um, he just finished his freshman year of high school. So our family is growing, and we're launching them out, and it's very sad and uh, um, uh, grieving a lot. So just walking back into this place, I remember when my kids were like that, and they were running around and all over the place with all the other kids and going off to things and VBS and, um, and, and just all that. So thank you so much for being an incubator for our family and, uh, and for helping us just um, live life. And no matter where we go, no matter what we do, Gateway will be a major, major part of our lives, of our history, of our family, um, for our children, this was the place. This was the place that God formed us and really launched us into the world. And so thank you for that. And, and just God bless you. And if I could just read a passage to you just as, as I finish from, and uh, before Gary, uh, I called you Gary. Um, that was the pastor before me. Um, so Gary, Alan, whatever, Grady. So, you know, uh, you guys have a theme, uh, you know, choosing pastors. But this has been a passage that has guided me as, as I've done work, as I've traveled, um, as I've held out the love of Christ wherever I've went, and that was really so formed here, a love for the nations, a love for people from all over the world, a love for, for racial reconciliation, for, for ethnic diversity and unity in the gospel and rooted in him. And so this uh, passage helped guide me. I just want to share it with you as a charge. It says, for the love of Christ controls us, 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us 
the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that passage has just um, has, has fueled me, has spoken to me, that no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what your background, no matter what the world says about how they categorize you or identify you or whatever it might be, that in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. And that we are new in him, and he makes us together into one body as a new people. And so just hold on to that, grasp hold of that, and go out boldly and, and hold out the message of reconciliation as Christ's ambassadors. And I just, Gateway has always done that through its whole history, and you're continuing to do it still. So I encourage you to keep going. Keep telling that better story. Amen. All right, God bless you. this man and you have ordered his steps he has narrowed his steps his family's steps to where you have him now and we just we just lift him up to you and we pray for his vision of, of uh, actually we pray for your vision of what you can do through him and through the the, uh, the body of believers that you have him a part of the, that that they would go forth that they would reach their neighbors that they would reach their communities, that they would reach their state with the, the love of Jesus and with that message that uh, in, in Christ we are new and, and we, are, we are brothers and sisters uh, of our Heavenly Father. We pray for them as they travel. We pray for them with all the errands and visiting and all that kind of stuff. We pray for protection for that. We pray for protection, a hedge of thorns to protect them from evil in their travels and in, in their work and ministry and the church body that they are a part of. We just pray for your, your protection, that you surround them and protect them as a family. We pray for that, for the elders and the leaders that they have in their church body, that you will draw to, to, to that church a group of, of men and women that desire to see the same, the same uh, work go forward and that you would bless it and move it forward in your hand and with your with your care and with the evidence of your love. We just pray for uh, he and the other folks that serve in leadership there that you will give them wisdom of how to handle the situations that they encounter relative to COVID and the other things that churches are dealing with in California. And just pray for your your message, your light, and, and a vision of you to go forth there in a strong and powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. It is fitting that we begin this Father's Day uh, with a verse out of Psalms here because we are speaking about a heavenly Father. And Psalm 105, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make his deeds among, among the people. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in the strength. Seek his presence continuously. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments that he uttered. All fathers are thinking, I like this, sing to him, sing praises to his name part. But we, we do that for our fathers. We appreciate them on this day. And we thank you uh, for our Heavenly Father. So let's go to him and, and speak to him. Heavenly Father, we... 
we, we recognize you as Heavenly Father. We recognize you as our Father, that you are a God merciful and gracious, full of loving kindness and faithfulness. And we thank you that that is expressed toward us. We thank that you've adopted us into your family. You have brought us under your headship. And we pray that we can live lives that are honoring to you. We lift up to you folks that are serving in various capacities here locally. Uh, Debbie and Lenny and Shepherd staff, we pray for your continued care and, and love through them for the people that they serve. We lift up to you, Jeremy Lynch, and the folks that deal with the Montgomery Baptist Association Food Pantry bus. And we just we pray for that to be effective for protection, for, uh, for quantity, and for them to have wisdom in how they serve, who they serve. We lift up to you, Pastor uh, uh, Dwayne Grimbert, and pray for his church and the, the uh, ways that you're leading them in their community to reach out and to love their neighbors. We pray that they will draw uh, people to themselves, uh, to draw people to you through, through their service and through the ministry there. We lift up to you, Helena, in India, and, and, and pray that for the work that she's doing with the orphanages and with the women there. On the other side of the world, while we are, are worshiping, they have worshiped already, and, and we join with them. We pray for uh, that to be funded in the ways that it needs to be to be effective. We pray for them as they encounter the challenges of COVID in their, their country, and we just pray for your hand over them and their protection in the, in the medical work that they have associated with that family. We thank you for the people that you've brought to yourself in Indonesia and the Sun tribe. We pray for them, that you will strengthen them, that you're, you're, uh, you will be real to them, as real as the people that they can reach out and touch, that these new believers will find you so real and so uh, important in their lives that they will reach out, they'll be strengthened in their faith, and they will reach out to their neighbors and the community there in a very dark place. We thank you for uh, the work that you've started there. We pray that it expands mightily. We lift up to you the, the money that's been collected for the church here and, and uh, pray that it is multiplied and used wisely for your kingdom. And we lift up Grady as he brings your truth today. We pray that it is uh, piercing to our hearts in the ways that it needs to be and your spirit uses us to change us to be that new that you promised you were doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, boys and girls, first to fourth, fourth grade, you are dismissed out these double doors to kids. Sorry, fifth and sixth graders, you're back in with us today. But first to fourth, you head out and follow Mr. Zach and Miss Rachel towards kids' worship. Thanks, William. If you need a little elbow room, you've got a little bit more elbow room around you now, right? <laughs> Uh, it's good to see you this morning, Gateway family. Once you find Exodus chapter 20 in your copy of God's Word, Exodus chapter 20, we are continuing our journey and seeking to be rooted in the Word of God, to be rooted and grounded in what we believe and what the Word of God says. And I just want to remind you, so much is at stake in whether or not we're rooted in the Word of God. Our own good is at stake, because whether or not we're rooted in the Word of God affects our maturity and affects our stability in a very tumultuous world here. It affects the good of others. It affects our unity and our ability to unite together as brothers and sisters in Christ. It affects our ability to speak the truth in love to one another. But friends, it also affects the good of the lost, because we have to know what we believe if we're going to make Christ known to the nations. 
As we're going through our journey of being rooted, we're in a section right now on the commandments, on the law of God. I just want to remind us that as we look at these commandments, it reveals to us the unchanging character of God. So look at these commandments. They're not just do's and don'ts for us. This is showing us the nature of God because it's a reflection of His own character and His own holiness. But as we look at these commandments, it also reveals to us the unchanging will of God. This is His plan for His people throughout all time. And so we get to see what God's will is for us here. So we're thinking about the law. We're honing in over these several weeks on what we call the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. You've already seen all the first four, which are the ones you might want to call your, your vertical commandments, the ones about how we relate to God. We've already walked through those of how there's to be no other gods before Him, there's to be no idols, how we're not to use His name in empty ways, and how we're to set aside time each week to focus on Him and worshiping Him and in resting. The last six commandments are all about how we relate to one another, the horizontal commandments. We've already looked at three of those so far in our study. We looked at honoring your father and mother. We looked at no murder, which we saw included no hate of any type. We also looked last week at no adultery, no sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. Today we come to the Eighth Commandment. And so our question is very simple this morning. What does the Eighth Commandment require? So I want us to look at that together. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? It's a short four words this morning as we read together, but it's still the unchanging Word of God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. The words will also be on the screen for you. You shall not steal. Let me pray for us. Father, our hearts are full and rejoicing at your grace that you give to us. Thank you that we've been able to to pray together already. Thank you that we've been able to praise you in song together. Thank you for just the encouraging update of what you've been doing in Alan's life and ministry. Lord, thank you for just all the many ways you remind us of your love for us. Lord, even as we look at the commandments, I pray we'd be reminded of your love for us. That you, our creator, know what we need. And you've told us how we're to live in this world, how we're to submit to you, and how we're to love one another. So I pray you give us much grace to look at this command with fresh eyes today, to see your character, to see your nature, and to see your will for us. And we pray you'll have your way in our midst, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So in light of all that we've seen so far, if you're like me, when you get to the Eighth Commandment, you kind of feel a little bit of a sigh of relief, right? And we've been walking through all the hard, the hard things here about no murder, and we think we're okay, and then we realize we can't even hate people in our hearts, and we can't hurt people in any way. And we realize how vast and broad that command is. We saw that last week with no adultery. We realize how God doesn't permit even any lustful thoughts in our mind. We see how deep these go. So we come to this one, and we're like, whew, finally, a command for the people in jail, right? The thieves and robbers, we are okay. But before we get too comfortable... I want us to see this morning, like the others, God is calling us through this eighth command to take a serious look in our own heart, to do some serious self-examination into our heart and our soul, because this command is much broader than I think many of us realize. So to help us understand it, we're going to do what we do with a lot of the commands. We're going to start with looking at the command itself. Then, of course, we're not going to stop there, right? We're going to look at the scope of the command. We're going to broaden out to see how the rest of Scripture helps us understand what's in view here. But if you think about how does this apply to you and me today here at Gateway, there's three questions we're going to look at at the end of the sermon. That is, first of all, why do people disobey this command? Why do people steal? We're going to look at that. We're going to look at then, what do we do if God convicts us of areas where we've stolen? How should we respond if we find conviction? But then most importantly, what should we do instead? Because you think about all the commands, it's not enough just to not do the sin. God requires righteousness to be put on. He requires us to replace it with something else. So what are we to be actively doing every day Instead, So we're going to start with the command, look at the scope, and then ask those three questions to help us, by God's grace, apply it to our lives. So let's start with the command itself, and let's start with the context of the command so we don't miss the big picture. So go back to verse 13 in Exodus chapter 20, and look at how this flows together. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. Now, this is short and choppy to us, right? 
And the Hebrew is even shorter and sharper. And the Hebrew is just six words. So if you were listening to this as a Jewish people as this is being read, it would literally say, no murder, no adultery, no stealing. Just three short phrases there. But I don't want us to miss the beauty of this, because I think for us sometimes these can seem like disjointed random commands in this. But I don't want you to miss the beauty of what's flowing here and the picture that God is painting for us in this command. Remember, first of all, the summary of the law. Romans chapter 13, verse 9. Once you see it up on the screen in Romans 13, 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal. What we've looked at so far. What's coming next week? You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So as you look at these commands, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, it's all summed up in loving your neighbor. Now, who is our neighbor? The scripture tells us our neighbor is anyone that we meet, anyone that God puts in our path, not just our physical neighbor on either side of your house, but this is anyone God in his sovereignty puts into our life and puts into our path. As you think about this, these commands are about loving our neighbor. Commandment number six, no murder, is about loving their personhood. That we love their personhood enough to not hurt them, to not hate them, not do anything that will bring harm to them. The seventh commandment about no adultery is about loving our neighbor's family. Not doing anything that's going to break their marriage covenant. Do nothing that's going to harm their marriage covenant or their family. And now we come to commandment number eight, no stealing. It's about loving our neighbor's property, not taking what is there. So I hope you see what God's doing here. These are not like random commands just kind of stuck in here in random places. God is painting for us a picture of the totality of our neighbor's life. Their personhood, their family, and their possessions. And he's saying love them in all areas of their life. Don't do anything to them personally, to their family, to their property that is not loving your neighbor as yourself. And so the eighth command is really about loving your neighbor by respecting their property. Now, with that said, there's a little tangent we need to mention here. If we're to respect their property, that means private property is okay. Private property is not just okay, it is good. The idea of private property, of things that belong to you that you're responsible for, is not an American cultural invention. It goes all the way back to Old Testament times. People had their own possessions, had their own property. That's why as you go through the Old Testament law, there's very specific commands about boundary lines and people's property lines and things. So at the outset of this, there's things that belong to you and there's things that belong to your neighbor. And we're to respect the things that belong to our neighbor. How do we respect their property? Go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, very simply. You shall not steal. Okay, now that's an easy one, stealing. What does stealing mean? Well, I think we all know, right? But let's make sure we're all on the same page here. Stealing is taking something that does not belong to you without permission. Stealing is taking something that does not belong to you, belongs to someone else, and you're taking it without permission. Now, if you go to someone's house, you say, hey, could I borrow that? Could I have that? And they say, sure, you're not stealing. You have permission. But it's taking things without permission if it belongs to someone else. And God says, doing that is forbidden here. You shall not steal. It's not the only place in Scripture, though, that stealing is listed as a sin, as something that dishonors God. Jesus himself listed among other sins. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. You see that up on the screen. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, and then here comes the next one, theft, false witness, and slander. So Jesus lists theft, stealing things, taking things that don't belong to you without permission, right alongside sexual morality, adultery, murder, and all these other Sins. Paul listed along other sins as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8. I want to see that up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 6, 8 to 10. I think we have, do we have that one up there, Alexander? There you go. But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Go into verse 9. God's indicting the people in Corinth here. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Now, verse 10. Nor the, who's next? The thieves, yeah, they're right in this list of sinners. Nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So, Scripture is very clear that taking what does not belong to us without permission 
is a sin. It was a sin in the Old Testament. It was a sin in the New Testament. It is a sin still today. Now, like I said, that before we think we're okay and going, you know, I haven't swiped anything out of Old Navy. I haven't gone to Best Buy and taken a TV. I'm okay on this one. I want us to make sure we understand the scope of this command of not stealing. Now, as we think about what's included, this, there's seven big categories. Sorry, I like a list here. Seven big categories of what fall under this command of not stealing. Seven different ways we can steal from different people. Number one, theft and robbery. Back to Exodus 20:15. You shall not steal. This is what comes to mind perhaps most often, pocketing that candy bar at the store, stealing the TV, taking something from someone's home. Friends, theft and robbery with followers, and it happens all the time. Even here in Montgomery, just a few weeks ago, another church in Montgomery had their sound system stolen. They got to church on a Sunday morning, and the sound system had been ripped out and stolen, along with all their amps and equipment and everything else. Theft and robbery happens, and theft and robbery, whether it's from someone's home or store, falls under this eighth commandment here. So number one is theft and robbery. Number two, though, is cheating other people. It's cheating other people. This would include stealing if you're cheating other people. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 35. Won't you see that on the screen? Leviticus 19, 35 says, You shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity. So when you cheat someone, you are stealing from them. That can happen in lots of ways. It can happen with inaccurate descriptions of products. You sell something online, but you don't really give people what you say you're selling. That would be a violation of the Eighth Commandment. Or you sell a house or a car or something. You don't disclose a problem you know it has with it, so you're passing on the cost to the next person. They're going to be surprised with you're stealing from them in that. So inaccurate descriptions when you sell. Inaccurate measurements would be in this. Not giving people what you've promised. When you get gas, you ever notice all those stickers all over the gas pumps? Certified, starts at zero, 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 you know, certified measurements. Why is that there? Because human nature is to steal by misjudging and not giving what you promise. So we have to have government agencies that actually check to make sure a gallon of gas is a gallon of gas because they know human nature is going to be like, I'll give them eight-tenths of a gallon instead, and I'll charge them for a gallon. That's human nature. So inaccurate measurements are cheating people. But even excessive interest is a way that you steal from people. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 12, once you see that one up on the screen, in you they take bribes to shed blood. You take interest and profit and make gain of your neighbors by extortion. But me you have forgotten, declares the Lord. When you steal, you steal from people when you apply excessive interest. So all over this city are quick money places, friends. People who extract excessive interest and trap poor people and needy people into schemes to promise them quick, easy money. But in reality, they're trying to get them into traps to make more money. That is stealing from the poor in that. And there's many other ways you can cheat people, including stealing their ideas. You cheat on homework or tests or projects at work. When you plagiarize and quote things as your own that is not. When you take from someone and not give them credit. All those things are cheating other people. That all violates the Eighth Commandment. So the first big area would be theft and robbery. The second area is cheating other people. Number three, you can break this commandment by stealing from the government. By stealing from the government. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. We're told to submit to the governing authorities. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. We look at the governing authorities. One thing the government does that none of us like are taxes, right? I don't know anyone who gets excited about tax day or taxes. But Jesus speaks this. Mark chapter 12, verse 17. In Mark 12, 17, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And the people marvel at him. We have a responsibility to give to the government what the government asks when it comes to taxes. And many steal from the government by underreporting income, by finding creative ways to not pay taxes on things. Before we moved to Montgomery, I knew an, a Christian accountant where we lived. And she said she dreaded tax season because so many people she knew who claimed the name of Christ, who were church members, would come give her their records. 
but she knew they were, they were not being honest with the government. It's common even among the church to steal from the government. So we can steal through theft and robbery. We can steal by cheating people. Number three, we can steal from the government. Number four, we can steal from our employees, or employees can steal from their employers. So we can steal in the employee-employer relationship. Now, how do employees do this? Employers do this. They steal by not providing the wages they promise. James chapter 5, verse 4 speaks to that. We saw that when we looked at James two years ago. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. When an employer does not pay what is promised, that is breaking the eighth commandment. But also employees can do this as well. Employees can steal from their employers by taking company supplies and taking them home as their own, by, but particularly by not doing the hours of the work promise. Now let's get real here in terms of social media. Unless your job is a marketing firm, which there's a few of you, none of you are being paid by your employers to scroll through social media, right? You're being paid to work a certain number of hours, and I wonder how much believers, we as believers, have stolen from companies by sitting there during the day, not doing the work promised, but by playing on social media. We can steal from our employers in many, many ways. Number five, we can steal from other companies. We can steal from other companies. Yes, you can take that pair of jeans from Old Navy. Yes, you can take that earphones from Best Buy, right? But you can steal from other companies. Insurance fraud, you do, trying to get more than what, than what actually got broken by the claim. You can steal from software and entertainment companies. How common is it for people to download copyrighted movies and music and software, not buying the license that's required and stealing from those companies things that were supposed to be paid to them? So you can steal from companies. Number six, we can steal from God. We can steal from God. How so? Friends, God calls us to give back to him our financial resources. In the Old Testament, the pattern was called the tithe, giving back 10%. Malachi chapter 3 Verse 8, he talks about tithes and contributions. But notice this thing, how it begins. The people weren't giving their tithes and contributions. And God says, will man rob God? Not giving back to God was considered robbery in the Old Testament times. In the New Testament times, what is the pattern for giving? Is generous and joyful giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. In 2 Corinthians 9, we're told each one must give as he has decided in his heart. It's not a question of if you give, it's a question of how much you give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When we do not cheerfully and joyfully give things back to the Lord for His purposes, we're stealing from God and we break the Eighth Commandment. But one last way, number seven, a seventh way we can break this commandment, anytime we have greed and covetousness in our heart. Anytime we have any greed or any type of covetousness in our hearts, we break the Eighth Commandment. And what do I mean by covetousness? Covetousness is when we desire what someone else has that we do not have. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 is a picture of desiring what we do not have, and Jesus warns us of it. He says, And Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Anytime we're coveting, they were thinking, Oh, if only I had what they had, we're breaking the eighth commandment. Likewise, greed is the same thing, except it's wanting more and more and more for yourself. In the very next verse in Luke 12, 16, Jesus gives us a, a parable to help us understand the danger of it. And Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Verse 17, he carries on. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And in verse 18, he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. There I'll store all my grain and all my goods. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. And then finally, verse 20, the judgment comes here. But God said to him, fool, you're, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you prepared, whose will they be? So when we have greed or covetousness in our heart, we break this commandment. For us, we need to let that sink in. We don't have to steal anything to break the Eighth Commandment. 
when our hearts are full of greed and our hearts are full of covetousness, we violate this command because Jesus cares not only what we take with our hands, he cares about the heart attitudes that lead to us taking things that don't belong to us. So I have three questions for us to think about how this applied to our lives. Number one, why do people steal? Have you ever wondered that? Have you yourself have been hurt by theft or hurt by dishonesty where people take it from you? Why do people steal? It was so easy to justify it, isn't it? Well, the government doesn't do enough to address this problem, therefore I'm going to take it. Or my employer doesn't pay me enough, so I need to take this. It's my right. That person has more than they need. They'll never miss it. It's just a big corporation. They won't feel the effects. The teacher asked too much of me. I had to cheat on that. The class assignment's pointless. doesn't matter if I copy my work. You know, on and on we can go, right? You, you, you hear all the excuses around us. But friends, we cannot blame our situations ever for taking things that are not ours. Whether it's something significant, like the TV from Best Buy, whether it's taxes from the government, whether it's stealing from God, we can never blame our circumstances for stealing. Where does it come from? Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. We looked at this earlier, but notice this. For out of the what? For out of the heart comes, and he lists all these sins, including theft. If we're stealing, whether it's we're downloading illegal software or not giving back to God or not giving to the government, whatever it is, if we're stealing in any way, it's coming out of our own hearts. Now, what about it? What in our hearts leads us to steal and to take, whether big or small? Two things. Number one, it's a lack of trust in God. If we're taking things that do not belong to us, whether it's ideas of other people, whether it's plagiarism, whether it's software online, whatever it is, it's showing we do not trust God. We're saying, God, I don't really trust you to provide what I need. Therefore, I'm going to find some way to get which I can't get any other way. We're not trusting in God's character. We're not trusting God's provision for us. We're not trusting God's promise to provide what we need. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Notice what Jesus says in Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be, what's next? Be content. Oh, ouch, that gets hard, doesn't it? Be content with what you have. So here at the heart issue, if we're taking things big or small, physically or, or not, ideas or things, we're taking it because we're not content, because we're not trusting the Lord. He says, be content with what you have, for God has said, here's how we're content, whether, li- whether however little or however much we have, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now notice what he says in verse 6 that follows. So we can confidently say, whether we have a little or a lot, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Friends, if we are stealing in anything, it's because we're not trusting in God. We're not trusting in his character. We're not trusting his provision. We're not trusting his promises to provide. But there's a second thing in our heart that leads us to steal, whether big or small. It's only not, not just a lack of trust in God. Second of all, it's a lack of love for others. It's a lack of love for others. Galatians chapter 5 verse 14 reminds us what we see over and over in this. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When we break any of these commands, it's because we're being selfish. We're not caring about the other people. We're not caring about what their needs are, what their rights are. We're only caring about us and what we can get, our dreams, our desires, and whatever we need to do to make them happen. So if we're stealing in any way, it's because we're not trusting God and because we're not loving others. Now, what do we do if we've broken that commandment? There's a second question for us. What do we do if we disobey this command and we realize I've been stealing from God or I've been stealing from the government or I've been stealing from my employer in time or I've been stealing ideas or whatever else? What do we do if we've disobeyed? No, two things. Number one, we run to Jesus for help. We run to Jesus for help. Friends, there's two dangers with this or any sin. When we realize that we've been falling short of God's standards, there's two dangers. One danger is just to despair and throw up our hands and go, I can't change, I can't help it. There's no way out. That doesn't honor the word. The second danger that, from what I know about a lot of you, we're more prone to do here is what I call that white-knuckle determination. I'm going to change. I'm going to conquer this sin, and I'm going to get better at this right now, whatever this is. But that doesn't work either, friends. The solution is not despair, and the solution is not just try harder. The solution is to run to Jesus for help. You see something beautiful in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. This is an amazing text with any sins we struggle with, but I want you to see this. 
Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Verse 10, keep going. Nor the thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if it stopped there, that would be depressing. But verse 11, and such were some of you. And there's the past tense here. He's speaking to the church, not to the lost. He's speaking to the church. He's saying, such were some of you. Some of you in the church used to be thieves. Some of you in the church used to be greedy. Some of you in the church used to do all these things. He said, but that was what you past tense were. What changed but? You were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And when you're justified, God has declared you righteous. Not because of anything you've done, not even because of your faith, but because God in His sovereignty looks upon you and says, He is my child, He is righteous, she is righteous. He declares because of Christ's death on the cross, righteous before Him, no matter how much sin we have in our life, we're justified in Him. He's washed us, that means He's forgiven us of our sins, whether stealing any other sin, He's forgiven us of those. But then notice that middle one there, you are sanctified. Sanctification is God's growth and godliness, where Jesus doesn't just save us from our sin and say, go live like you want. Jesus says, I've saved you from your sins now. Let me change you. Let me transform you. Let me give you freedom. What we just sang about this morning, victory in Jesus. He wants to give us victory over our sins. And so when we realize we're struggling, even if we're stealing small things, if we're stealing something bigger, if we're stealing in any way, if we're struggling with sexual immorality, if we're struggling with lying, if we're struggling with anything, the solution is not try harder. The solution is not give up. The solution is run to Jesus, who has justified us, who has forgiven us, and says, I want to sanctify you and grow you in godliness. He wants to give you forgiving grace. He wants to give you transforming grace, so run to Him if you're struggling with this or any of the other commands. There's a second thing we need to do if we've broken this command, not just run to Jesus for help, but second of all, we need to seek to restore what we took. We need to seek to restore what we took. When we sin, particularly in this sin of stealing, we're taking something that belongs to another. So we need to get right with God about this, because this is a hard issue, so it's got to start there. But that getting right with God should lead us outwardly to seek restoration with the person who we have taken from. That was the pattern going all the way back to the Old Testament law. Leviticus chapter 6, verses 2 to 7. I want you to see what the, the, what the command was of someone in Israel was caught breaking this, this commandment of stealing. If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord, so again, notice how stealing is described. It's a breach of faith against the Lord. By deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he's oppressed his neighbor, now verse 3, or he's found something lost and lied about it, kept it for himself, not given back. He sweared falsely in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, verse 4. If he sinned and has realized his guilt, what does he do? He will restore what he took by robbery, or what he got by oppression, or the deposit that was committed to him, or the lost thing that he found. So think of all the scenarios here. Now verse 5. For anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and add a fifth to it. Israel, the, law, the Jewish law was you restored it and you added 20%. You took something, you gave it back, and you gave 20% more back to it. And give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 6, there's something else he has to do besides restore it. He shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And then finally, verse 7 here. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. So what do you do when you realize you've stolen from someone? You confess it to the Lord. You have verse 6 and 7 here in the Old Testament doing the sacrifices, whereas us, we're looking to Christ because he's been our perfect sacrifice. But then they also had to restore it to the person plus 20%. You seek to repay it. There's a beautiful picture in the, Old, in the New Testament of this as well, and that's in Luke chapter 19. If you remember the story from childhood of Zacchaeus, 
He was a wee little man, was he? Remember those songs from Sunday school, right? And usually what we're taught, the whole point of the story of Zacchaeus was, is he wanted to see Jesus so bad, he was so sure he climbed the tree and be like Zacchaeus and climb the tree of your life and find Jesus, right? And there's some truth to that, but that's not the main point of that particular story. In Luke chapter 19, verse 2, I want you to see that on the screen. You have this, this situation. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, how did he get rich? Well, we know from history he got rich by stealing from people. If the government said, you owe 100, whatever the money was, he said, you owe 110. He keeps 10 for himself. And they got rich by stealing from people, by collecting. So Zacchaeus got really, really rich by doing this. But he climbs a tree. I'm going to skip that part of the story because you know it from childhood. He climbs a tree, sees Jesus. Jesus says, I want to go eat your house. He comes running down the tree, and Jesus goes to his house. But notice what happens when he encounters Jesus. Luke 19, verse 8. This is what the whole story is building to, why Jesus records this for us. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded, if I've stolen anyone of anything, I restore it. Now he's going to go above and beyond here, fourfold. So he's not just taking the, the Jewish requirement of 20%. He's going way above and beyond. He has so encountered Christ. He wants to make right. Not only, he not only wants to follow Christ, he wants to make right the wrongs he did. Verse 9, it continues on there. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this home, since he also is a son of Abraham. And then verse 10. It all wraps up. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was lost, and in his sin, he had stolen from so many people, and he meets Christ. And when he meets Christ, he worships Christ, but he also seeks to repay what he had taken. When we steal from other people, we need to run to Jesus for help to address our heart issues, but we also seek to restore, to repay what we have taken. At least our last question for the morning, what should we do instead of stealing? This is for all of us now. What should we do instead of stealing, friends. Because remember, the commandments are always two-sided. We look at the commands, there's always the negative, don't do this, but there's also a positive that is required. We talk about it often in terms of put off and put on. If you put off stealing, but don't replace it with something, it's not holiness. Holiness requires us to not only get rid of the sinful thing, but it's to replace it with Christ-likeness. So what does God call us to do? What is this eighth command you shall not steal actually proactively telling us to do? It's telling us to do three things. This is so important, because we will all give an account before God one day of whether or not we've done these three things. So what are we required to do? Number one, we're required to work hard. We're required to work hard. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. This is an amazing text that speaks to the issue of stealing. So let me get up on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather, what should he put on instead? But rather, let him what? Labor. Labor, Doing honest what? Work with his own hands. And we'll come back to the last phrase in a minute, but we work hard. If we want to honor the Lord, it's not just enough to not steal. If I don't steal, but I lay around and I'm lazy and never work, that's not honoring the Lord on this one. This command is not just about not stealing, it's about working hard is unto the Lord. And let me remind us, in our culture, so often we think of work as some awful thing. Friends, work was not a result of the curse. Work is not a result of the fall. It's pre-fall. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. I want you to see that one as well. Genesis 2, 15, we see work coming before sin entered the world. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to do what? To work it and to keep it. At the very foundation of creation, God's plan was for his people to work and to work hard. Therefore, friends, work is good. Yes, it is hard now because of the curse. Yes, there's challenges that we face because of the curse, but the problem is not work. God's answer for us is to work. Second of all, though, what does God require us to do? As we make things we work, number two, we're to be good stewards of what we have. We not only work hard to gain things, second of all, we seek to be good stewards of what God has given to us, whether our money, whether our possessions, whether our cars, our houses, our clothes, our technology, anything we have, we're to be stewards of it. Now, what does it mean to be a steward? Well, a steward is someone who takes care of what belongs to another. A steward in the Old Testament took care of what belonged to someone else. So, 
We often talk about private property, and we said, yes, that's a good thing. There's nothing bad with private property. But ultimately, as a Christian, private property is not ultimate. Our things don't belong to us. They belong to God. We are simply stewards of things that God has given to us. And so the great truth of stewardship is that I don't have my own house. I don't have my own car. They're God's. And he's entrusted them to us for a season, for his purposes. We have a glimpse of this in Psalm chapter 50, verse 10. In Psalm 50, 10, you have this beautiful picture of where God says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, verse 11, I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. You see God declaring that he owns everything in the world. Now, verse 12, now I love this line. God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, because the world in its fullness everything you can imagine in the world, every house, car, piece of clothing, technology, every animal, everything in the whole world, God says, is mine. God is declaring his absolute sovereignty over all things, that everything belongs to him. If everything in the world in its fullness is mine, then yes, private property is not bad, provided we understand it's a stewardship, that my house is really God's house, that my car is really God's car, that this facility is really God's facility. Everything we have is ultimately God's and is given to us to use for His purposes. Not to entertain ourselves, not for our selfish desires, not for our affluence, ease, prosperity, not to get us from birth to death in the safest, happiest, easiest, most comfortable way possible. Why has God given us things? Yes, to meet our needs, but so we can also meet the needs of others. Everything that's been entrusted to us is not only to meet our own needs so we don't have to steal, but they're entrusted to us so we can meet the needs of others, both their physical needs and their spiritual needs. So we work hard. We understand everything we gain from that is a stewardship that leads to number three of what we're required to do. We're to be generous. You're to be generous. This is the epitome of what the eighth command is all about. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Look at how it's explained to us in the New Testament. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands. But we can't stop there. So that. And so we see the so that in Scripture is telling you what the reason is for this command. So why are we commanded not to steal in the Eighth Commandment? Why are we commanded to work hard instead? That's not ultimately the end. It's just to work hard and gain. It's this, so that he may have something to do what? To share with anyone in need. The reason God calls us to work hard is not so I can get my dreams fulfilled. He calls you and I to work hard so that we have things to share with anyone in need. Think about that. Generosity is the exact opposite of stealing. We're looking at things not just to go, what can I get out of it? But we're looking at things going, how do I bless other people with this? So think about it this way in terms of work and things that we can possess. Some people steal to get what they want. And that's a sin. If you steal to get what you want, that's a sin. In our culture, the answer that's often given, that's inadequate, is work hard to get what you want. But the Bible says that's not sufficient. It's just not, yes, it's wrong to steal to get what you want. But it's also not biblical just to work to get what you want. The command of Scripture is to work so you can give. Work so you can be generous to others. And if we want to obey the Eighth Commandment here, it's not just enough to not steal. It's not just enough to, to work hard. The only way we fulfill the Eighth Commandment is when we work hard to steward it well so that we can be generous to others. So we have resources that can meet other people's needs, their physical needs and their spiritual needs. So with all that, let's bring that together. Our question is, what does the Eighth Commandment require? And I want you to see the answer. Here's our main idea, our answer from this text. What does the Eighth Commandment require? And here's our answer. God commands us not to take what does not belong to us, but instead to work hard and be good stewards so that we can be generous. So what is the Eighth Commandment about? Yes, it's to not steal, to not take what does not belong to us. But more than that, it is to work hard. More than that is to be good stewards of what we have, and that stewardship looks like being able to be generous to others. It's a put off and a put on. It's put off stealing, put off selfishness, put off the greed in the heart that leads us to those things, and put on hard work and put on generous, joyful 
giving. Because the exact opposite of stealing is giving away joyfully and generously. God commands us not to take what does not belong to us, but instead to work hard and be good stewards so that we can be generous. Like that, I've got two questions for us this morning. First of all, have we ever taken something that does not belong to us? Have we ever taken something that does not belong to us? Friends, this is a temptation for believers. I had a pastor friend who called me just last month because in the church he pastors, they caught their associate pastor stealing money out of the offering every Sunday. This happened in the church I came from in Auburn where a church member had this beautiful new Bible and it went missing one Sunday. We pulled the security footage and another church member went and saw it, thought it was beautiful, opened up, ripped out the name page, threw the name page and walked off with a brand new Bible. This can happen in the church. This can happen in our lives as well. But it can happen in our lives in perhaps less obvious ways. By being greedy. By stealing software that in movies that don't belong to us. By stealing from the government. By not giving back to God. It's easy for us to throw stones at the people who steal the TVs from Best Buy. But are we stealing smaller things? Are we stealing our money from God and from the government and from others? Have we taken anything that does not belong to us? And if so, friends, remember the call is to, is to run to Jesus the calls also seek to make it right, and perhaps if we have, the Lord's calling us to do something to make it right this week. But the second question, and even the more important question for us is this. Are we working hard and being good stewards so we can be generous? Are we working hard and being good stewards so we can be generous? Friends, the American dream that I'm going to work hard and get what I want and achieve my dreams is powerful, and it gets into our lives so quickly. And there's nothing wrong with working hard and seeing the Lord bless that. But friends, we can't stop with just what I want. God bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. And so have we bought into just the idea I'm going to work hard to get, or do we really believe I'm working hard to get so that I can give it away? So perhaps there's someone the Lord's calling us to grow in generosity to this week. There's some physical or spiritual need or some ministry that God's calling us to begin investing in, and so we need to obey Him in that. And so friends, let's ask God this week for much grace, not only not steal, but ask God for much grace to be hard workers and generous to all that we meet. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for showing us your unchanging will. And more than that, we thank you for showing us your unchanging character. Lord, you are a generous God. God, you have given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You've given us forgiveness that we can never earn ourselves. And you've poured out blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace in our lives. And Lord, as we think about this call to work hard so we can be generous, Lord, I pray we would see your character in this. God, that we see you as a generous God who loves to give lavishly and pour out your blessings and your riches onto your children. And I pray, God, that be the pattern of our lives. God, we not be people who just take and just receive and it stops with us. But God, we be people who take the blessings you give us, the people who work hard and receive so that we can be a blessing to others. As we think about even right here in our city, there's so many needs. There's so many losses. We think about the nations that we pray for every week. Lord, there's so many people in this world who've never even had a chance to hear the name of Jesus one time. And we're sitting on so much that you've given to us, losing sight of the lost who've never had a chance to hear your name. And would you forgive us for the ways that we've stolen from you by taking things that you gave to us to, for us to steward for your purposes and that we've sat on for our own comfort. God, give us much grace this week to see all that we have is belonging to you. See, all that we have is things that we should hold with open hands to release for your purposes. And Lord, if there's anyone in here who has taken something big or small from someone else, I pray you give them grace this week to restore that. Or that's so humbling to have to go to someone and say, hey, I've not been doing the work you've asked me to do. Or, hey, I actually took this from your house or I didn't do what I was supposed to do with this. And I pray that might be a witness to those, their boss, their friend, their classmate, their teacher. And that you give them grace to do what is right. To make wrongs, to make right of the wrongs that have been done. 
Lord, for all of us, Lord, you see our hearts. And you see how quickly greed and covetousness can come in. And you see how quickly selfishness comes in and we take your blessings and act like they're all about us. Would you forgive us for that? Would you give us generous, joyful hearts that want to release resources back to you and back to others? Lord, would you make us a giving people, Lord? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song, a proclamation of what we believe as followers of Christ?
And in your holy church, I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Now, before I close this in prayer, I want to do what we do each week as we finish up our catechism. So I want us to answer the question out loud together as a reminder of the truth that we've been studying. So our question is, what does the Eighth Commandment require? You get the answer up there, and let's say it together. God commands us not to take what does not belong to us, but instead to work hard and be good stewards so that we can be generous. Lord, give us much grace to do that today and all this week. And we just agree with what's already been prayed for the Boyds and for the Schneiders. We're so thankful for these two precious families, their love for you and their love for your church. We pray your blessings on them in this new season of life. You'll go with them, that you'll prepare the path for them, and that, Lord, you will let them be a great blessing to others. Lord, in Knoxville and down in Mobile and Dolphin Island, just as they've been a blessing here, we pray you'll use them to be a blessing to those there around where they are. And we thank you for your goodness to us. I pray we would not forget it this week, but delight in it and celebrate it all week long. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon.